All right, hello and welcome to Just a Family. This is giving you something to talk about or just the live TV as I like to call it. I'm your host, Melissa Kretschler. I'm an identity coach, spiritual teacher, business mentor, creator, and founder of not only Just a Live TV, but also the Women Supporting Women Can Network. Today, we're going to be talking about what it really takes to change your life. And to do that, we're going to have our guest speaker introduce themselves momentarily. Today's sponsor is a Phoenix Identity. Go and check them out. Link in the description. Uh, they are offering you the Embrace Your Positivity Guide to kind of give you a little bit of a kickstart into, you know, acknowledging your feelings and how you feel and getting that push you need to make yourself happy. So go and check that out. Link in the description. All right. Charlene, would you like to introduce yourself? I sure would. First of all, thank you for having me. My name is Charlene Madden. I am the host and creator of the Ignite Your Life workshop series. I'm a speaker, an author, and a woman's empowerment coach, and I am so honored to be here with you today. I'm honored to have you here today. I love that. Um, so I want to take a second out just to tell everybody a story about what happened to me yesterday. So yesterday, I'm I'm going. Long story short, I'm I have so much to do. The website for Just a Life crashed, so I have to redo that. Um, I have to write my book, and it is a series. Um, so I have a lot to do, and I'm not doing it. And so one of the things we're talking about today uh, is what does it really take to change your life? And so thinking about it yesterday, I go pick up my daughter, and I'm driving the car, and my happy place is a car. We're doing a 30-day step challenge in the Women Supporting Women Network, not promoing that. I'm just letting you know. Um, so I do the Facebook Live in my car, and I'm listening to Lizzo's new song, uh, To Be Loved, right? And I'm just jamming out, and I'm just like, I'm I'm in my glory, I'm in my happy place, and I'm feeling great, and the live went amazing, and I'm still kind of feeling that energy this morning. And I said to my husband, I said, that energy that I felt yesterday, I need that a good portion of the time. That's the energy that I need to actually do what I need to do and change my circumstances and change my life and change the way that it is. So that was one of the things I wanted to point it out is that, you know, I found that music driving my car and it's almost winter. So I won't be driving my car as much because I do not like winter driving. Um, but you know, listening to music and having a dance party and jamming out, feeling that energy. And that's my new favorite song right now. Um, and the reason why that's my, my new favorite song is because, that song is how I felt right before I met my husband. So uh, just a side note on that. Anyway, on top of that, but that is the story is I went and I listened to that music and I was really pumped up and I, and I figured out something that I need to make myself feel a certain way, to make myself feel motivated and empowered, right? And it was a self-awareness, which is one of the things that you talk about. So Let's hear your story. I'm going to shut up for a little bit and we're going to listen to your story about um, your journey and how you realized what you really need, um, needed to do to take responsibility and change your life. Yeah, my story um, really begins when I was three and a half and I'm going to give you the quick bridge version of because I want to get to the meat and potatoes part of it. So I grew up in a really dysfunctional childhood home. Uh, my father was a severe alcoholic. Uh, when I was three and a half, my parents divorced. I went to live with my grandparents because neither of my parents were uh, in a place where they could take care of my sister and I. And um, I went to live with my grandparents and I grew up with a woman who was 
super strong, super empowered, uh, believed that women should be strong, educated, and independent. And that was a lesson that I learned probably a little too well, but uh, I learned that lesson. So my grandmother was just a hero in my eyes. My grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile. So I went through nine and a half years of sexual trauma at his hands. And um, when it all came out, uh, of course, my grandparents divorced, our family was torn apart once again. And I struggled going into my teenage years um, because I didn't have the, there was no follow-up counseling. Um, it was just a pat on the back from a social worker saying, don't worry, you're going to be okay. I had no idea what okay was. Um, but here I was just trying to be okay. And I wasn't, and I didn't have any tools, skills, or knowledge to create okay for myself. Yeah. So I struggled as a teenager, um, started drinking heavily, uh, smoking marijuana all the time, and also cutting as a way of an emotional outlet for all that pain that I was holding. And, um, and then I started writing, and it was a more positive way to express all the feelings that I had. But of course, it drew attention. Um, to what I was experiencing. And I got sent off to see a school psychologist who after four hours of talking diagnosed me as being manic depressive bipolar. So now I'm a child of parents who don't want me. I'm a child sexual abuse survivor. Um, and now I'm crazy on top of it, right? So I'm stacking all of these labels on top of myself not labels I've given myself really, but labels that my, my community and society has given me. So I do what my grandmother taught me to do. I put my head down. I work hard. I get through school. I move away because I think my whole life is going to change if I could just relocate. Um, and we all learn coping mechanisms. So I'll be happy when. Yeah. Like and geographical coping skill was what I learned. And that's probably because my mom did it. She she left Ontario where I was born and raised and moved across the country. So I thought, OK, if you just move away, that'll solve your problems. Um, but we learn rather quickly, no matter where we go, there we are. Right. I was just bringing all of my baggage with me. Mm -hmm. So I went through, um, you know, having three children and not being the parent that I wanted to be because I didn't know how to allowing that to cause my depression to get worse to the point where I was suicidal. Um, I walked away from my marriage that I had been in. I married my high school sweetheart. Um, I walked away from my, my marriage, uh, left the home, left my children to try to get my life together. But it just caused me to spiral downwards because I felt I had repeated the generational trauma. I so worked so yeah. hard not to um got into a dysfunctional another dysfunctional relationship that turned violent and this was the pattern that i was living alcohol violence um he was on uh, heavy drugs and i again moved i moved across the country to british columbia thinking that if i moved everything would be better and it didn't it, nothing changed because i wasn't doing the work to change and it ended in um, the violent relationship that I was in ended up after we were together 13 years, um, that relationship ended. And two months after it ended, he committed suicide. And this put me again down into a spiral where I was wanting to get better. I wanted to do, you know, better for myself, better for my children. I wanted to live a life where I was okay. 
And I just, again, didn't have the skills. So I went through another couple of years of, of struggling and I always kept this facade on that I was okay. And I think we do that. We become masters of wearing this mask of, Hey, I'm okay. Because we don't want to be vulnerable because vulnerable is, you know, we equate that with weakness and it's not being vulnerable is probably the most strong, the greatest thing you could do. And, um, I had gotten to a point where I decided I was going to end my life once and for all. And I had set a date and this was after going to see, uh, I had started seeing a psychiatrist. And um, I remember that moment of, of asking the psychiatrist, what did you do to fix your mental illness? Because I'm very much the, just tell me what to do and I'll do it type of person. Yeah. And um and I remember her looking at me and her eyes kind of glazed over and she said, well, Charlene, I've never experienced mental illness myself. And I was really frustrated. I thought, here's someone telling me how to fix me um, when they don't know how I'm feeling. Like you've never been in the dark. You don't know what it's like there. And I, that was when I made my decision to end my life. I set a date from 30 days. And two weeks before I went, um, I had a coworker ask me if I would be interested in going to a women's workshop. Now, of course, I said no, because it was the last thing I wanted to do was go sit in a room full of women who and pretend I had it together, which I didn't. Um, but she said something and she said, please, I really want to go, but I don't want to go alone. And that for me was always my kryptonite because I always cared about everyone else's well-being, which we do as women quite often, more than I did my own. And I went, okay, I'll go with you. So I pulled into the parking lot of that workshop two weeks later, which was I pulled in, <clears throat> excuse me, on a Saturday morning. I got out of my truck. I glanced in the back seat where my hunting rifle and my bullets were because I was going the following Monday morning to end my life. And I walked into this room and I don't know if anybody's ever felt this way, but I immediately felt sick to my stomach because I felt looking around that room. I don't belong. I don't belong here. Here was a room full of women that looked like they had it all together, well-dressed, happy. They looked, you know, I just, I, they looked successful. They looked like they had it all. And here I was feeling like I had nothing here. I was, you know, being this phony and this fraud, you know, cause I was going to end my life in two days, but I thought, okay, we've, you know, just two more days to get through. So I sat down at that table and started listening to the speakers and the first few speakers I didn't connect with at all. Um, they were talking about um, physical health and wellness, which I didn't care about at that point, and finances, which had no relevance at that point in my life. And then the afternoon session came on and my entire life changed. I heard three speakers, one after another, who shared their stories um, and they were vulnerable and they were authentic. And, you know, the first woman got on and she was bald. She had alopecia and she talked about struggling with self-love, you know, because she didn't fit society's standard of what beauty was supposed to be. So she didn't feel beautiful, which meant she couldn't love herself and how she struggled in her youth and her teen years with alcohol and drugs and, you know, uh, abusing her body. And I'm listening there and I'm, and I'm connecting to the words that she's saying. And then she spoke about how 
everything changed in her life when she learned to love herself, to stop looking outside to everyone around her for this validation, to determine her worth, to say that she deserved to exist on this planet. She, she loved herself and that was enough. And I remember she got off the stage and I heard this little voice in the back of my head and it said, what about you? And I thought to myself, yeah, how different could my life have been had I learned to love myself? Had I stopped needing someone to say I was worth it? You know, like my parents hadn't loved me is what I felt. My grandfather hadn't loved me. You know, this abusive relationship I hadn't been, I had been in, like I was waiting and going through all this stuff because number one, I didn't feel I had any worth. So I deserved what I was getting. And I thought, you know what? I deserve happiness. I deserve love. But before anybody else can give me that, I need to give myself that gift. And then the next speaker gets on stage and she starts speaking about living with mental illness and depression. And she was a teacher. So she had this, again, this facade, this mask that she wore that she was, you know, okay. And she wasn't. And how she struggled and, you know, got to the point where she wanted to end her life because she was trying to fight this depression and this mental illness. And it was only when she stopped and she learned that she needed to accept that as being a part of herself and love that part as well. You know, she's, uh, you know, I remember hearing like it's her mental illness was like having diabetes. It was a part of her. And, you know, as much as you wait, you can't wish diabetes away. She couldn't wish her mental illness away. She had to accept it as being part of her life and learn how to live with that. And I remember hearing that instead of pushing the darkness away, which is what we try to do, that if you embrace the darkness, you can pull it into the light and that's where it needs to be. And she finished speaking. And again, I'm sitting there and I hear this little voice that says, what about you? And I thought, yeah, what about me? Like, again, how different would my life have been had I learned to live with my mental illness instead of ignoring it or trying to just keep it, you know, at the outer edges of my peripheral there. So, you know, I know it's there, but I don't want to have to deal with it. What if I embraced it? What if I pulled it in and said, you know what, this is part of me as well. And if I'm going to love myself, I have to love all the parts, not just the good, but the bad and ugly as well. And again, I kind of brushed it off because my decision had been made. And then the next speaker gets on stage and it's a gentleman. And he stands up there and he talks about how he had lost his marriage. He had lost custody of his children. He had lived with alcohol addiction and addiction to painkillers. Um, and how he had spent the last year of his life trying to find that perfect cocktail of alcohol and pain meds so that he could actually end his life but make it look like an accidental overdose because he wanted to ensure that his kids got life insurance money and they were taken care of. And I'm listening to this and I'm going, wow, like this sounds like my life just in a male version. And it was on a night where his ex-wife had asked him to look, to look after his kids, which never happened, that he found that perfect mix of drugs and alcohol. And it's funny how the universe works out that way. Like any other night, he could have, that could have happened and he wouldn't have been there. But with his kids in the house, he knew, you know, he hears this voice saying, no, not like this, not today. And he is able to get to his phone and he gets help. 
and his whole life has changed. And now he's here sharing his story and hopes he can reach someone. And I'm sitting in that seat and I'm kind of doing the side eye because I'm almost expecting someone to pop out with a camera because I'm thinking, what is going on right now? You know, I'm at an event that I didn't want to be at. And I've just heard three stories that, that have impacted my life. You know, and here these people are sharing their stories and maybe I'm exactly where I need to be. Maybe I need to learn these lessons and say, you know what, I need to love myself. I can't keep um, expecting other people to love me if I'm not loving myself. I need to do the work and accept that this is part of me. So what do I need to do to move forward? And I need to share my story. I need to be honest and I need to be authentic with the people in my life, my life and say, hey, you know what, here's what's going on. You know, I can't keep this a secret. I need to rip off this mask and tell you who I am and what I've been going through. And that's what I started doing. And immediately, like when I say immediately, I mean, immediately my life started to change when I started embracing those things and started doing what I needed to do to improve my life. I got radically honest with myself. And I think that that's um, one of the most important things that we can do is to sit down and really look at our lives and say, okay, where am I right now? You know, what what's working? What's not working? What do I need to change? And sometimes it's hard for us to see that. And sometimes you need we need to go outside of ourselves and we need to go talk to someone. We need to find someone who we can share with and who we can trust and we feel safe and secure with to help us get on that path. But I needed to go, okay, you know, I had a lot of crappy things happen to me, but at this point, by me taking responsibility, it was the most empowering thing that I could do when I took my power back and said, okay, this is what happened, but I'm in control now. I get to make the choices to live a better life if that's what I choose. And part of that, again, is getting honest and saying, okay, what do I need to change? You know, what, what am I letting control my life? For me, fear was a huge part of my life and what, you know, how I was letting it control my life, fear of what other people thought, fear of rejection, all these fears that were just thoughts made up in my mind. You know, they weren't real because most thoughts aren't real. They're just ideas that are rattling around in there. And uh, so, you know, I, I got clear on what my fears were and I started taking action. And that's the other part, right? Like we can, we can start making these plans, but plans without action are just going to be, they're just going to stay plans. You have to take action. I needed to get honest. I needed to start loving myself. And then I needed to start taking action, accepting what I needed to change and then taking the action. And that's part of the self-responsibility. And it's such a, it's a struggle for a lot of people because we, we live in a society where self-responsibility is almost non-existent, right? Like we want to point fingers at everybody else. You know, it's, it's the government's fault. It's the my boss's fault, my coworker. It's everybody else's fault, but our own. And by doing that, we're constantly giving away our power. Yep. Right? Self-responsibility brings the power back to you. And that's where your power needs to stay with you. So getting, you know, taking self-responsibility and going, okay, if I want my life to change, I have to change it. 
you know, like I, I remember my grandmother always drilled it in. No one's coming to rescue you, right? Like no one's going to come rescue you. If you want to change your life, you have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's one of the most important lessons that I took away. It's like, I'm in charge now. I have the power to change my life. And so does everybody else. You just have to, you know, get really honest and then start taking action. Yeah. Um. That's a heavy story. Absolutely heavy story. And the amount of people in society that experience that story or something similar to your story is overwhelming. And it brings tears to my eyes because we as a society, we're, we're not doing better. We're not being better, right? And these things get pushed under the rug. Um, I've said it a hundred times. Addiction, right, is literally... It's to remove or replace an emotion. My son cut. Um, one of the first episodes we did on the show, you can only find this one on Facebook or YouTube, FYI. Um, the first episode we did was with my now 20-year-old son who um, high anxiety, cutting, all of that. And it put me into a place where I really needed to delve into mental health and, and what what was going on. I've had my own issues. Now I've never been diagnosed with a, with a mental health condition. I do believe that I have um, a mild form or I'm on the spectrum of autism because I'm an absolute genius when it comes to mental health and the mental and emotional health, which is why I created the smarter method. And I love that you talk and, and your business is centered around the self-love, the self-acceptance, the self-responsibility. And that's so important because we don't have that. And my smarter method is literally security in your identity, maturity in your mindset, accountability for your actions, responsibility for your thoughts and beliefs, um, trust in yourself, embrace where you embrace your experiences and say, this is a part of me, right? And we accept, right? And we, and we figure out what it means for us and how we use it and then our readiness, right? The readiness to take the next steps. And when we put all of those together in the smarter method, we can do anything. Like this, when I, when I said I was fangirling right before the episode, it's because this is an eight-part series, at least. You can use it in spirituality. You can use it in life. You can use it for kids. You know, I asked myself right before I, right before I came up with the smarter method, I said, what do kids need to know today? What do kids need to know to be strong, to be self-aware, to be self-assured and confident and not go through junior high going, this person doesn't like me and I can't handle that, right? Um, You see all the mass shootings, you see all the suicides, you see all the bullying. That could be, I'm not going to say stopped because obviously we can't control what everybody does, but if we give kids the tools to work with what they're given in life, to work with their situation and find their power, they take responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been, I've been looked at funny and I'm, and you've been in situations. um, I was, I was molested as a child as well. Um, And I, I turned to somebody and, and they looked at me funny and I've said it on the show before is we subconsciously, or unconsciously make decisions that put us in certain positions. 
And when we feel unworthy, let's use relationships, domestic violence, domestic violent relationships. I'm not saying you choose your partner. I'm not saying you can control whether your partner is abusive or not. Absolutely not. But I'm saying that when you feel unworthy, you make choices based on that unworthiness. And you make those choices which lead down that path. Right? Yeah. And I, I'll jump in real quick and say, like, for myself, um, leaving when I left my children I, and started going down that spiral and then got into that abusive relationship, it's what I felt I deserved. Mm-hmm. You know, so and especially when, you know, if you've grown up with um, childhood trauma, y- your brain thinks that that's okay. normal and OK. And for me, like I was like, OK, this is just this is my karma, you know, like this is what I'm getting for being a, a terrible person. This is what I deserve. Everything I've had in my life is because this is what I deserve. And that was the message that I had so deeply implanted in myself that I didn't get out because I thought I deserved it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. But when, saying. So my favorite part of this, and it, you can see it just, it makes me all excited when I say this. When you tell people that they put themselves in that position, now that sounds really harsh and it absolutely sounds really harsh, but then you turn it around and you say, if you had the power to create that, what kind of power do you have to create something different? Right? And it's empowering. Instead mm-hmm. of it being shame, guilt, blame, any of that, which it's not meant to be, it's I have power. I didn't realize I had power. I actually have power. Mm-hmm. Let's take that back. Mm-hmm. And let's recreate for me. Yeah, which is so important because when you're in that position, um, you, it's drilled into your head that you have no power. Yeah. You know, like you're even like your abusers let you know that you don't have the power. So, yeah, having that that um, support network is so, you know, is so important so that you know that, yeah, you do have you do have power. You cho- choices are power. Right. Um, Every choice is a, is a powerful decision. So. And segueing onto power for a second, abusers, most of the time, I'm not going to say all of the time because I haven't done statistics, but in my personal and professional opinion, abusers find power in abuse. Mm -hmm. They're not powerful in anything else. They don't know how to control their emotions. They don't know how to control their actions. They react based on a emotion. It's like cutting, right? And you Mm -hmm. cut. When you don't know how to control or process your emotions, you will find an outlet, whether it's drugs, alcohol, abuse, physical harm, whatever that looks like, you will find an outlet to to release or remove or replace those emotions. Absolutely. So an abuser, and typically men, not always, but typically men, when you are told and, and grown up because society's told us that emotions are for sissies and, you know, you have to be macho and, you know, maybe they were abused, whatever that looks like. And I'm not, I'm not taking the blame off of them. They make the choice at that point. Um, but again, if you've grown up and you haven't felt any power and all of a sudden you feel that little spark of power in abusing somebody else or controlling somebody else, that's going to become an addiction. 
-hmm. It's going to become a drug. Now, again, I'm not putting blame on or taking off blame from either party, but each person has something in their past, something in their head that put themselves in that situation, Mm -hmm. whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm actually reading um, Gabor Mate and Daniel Mate's book, the, the Myth of Normal, right now, and uh, it really talks about different kinds of trauma because we see trauma as being these major events, you know, whether it was a car accident or abuse or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But understanding that there's big T trauma and there's little T trauma, right? So understanding that, yeah, and, and sometimes understanding that trauma isn't what happened to you. Um, or isn't, yeah, isn't what happened to you. It's what didn't happen for you. Right. So having someone there to nurture and protect and, you know, allow you that safe outlet um, can be trauma as well. So like, we've all been traumatized in some way or another in our lives, we just don't recognize it. (coughs) Understanding the level of trauma and and how it impacts your life. And what, and along with what you're saying, I know for myself, one of the biggest shifts I made in my own life was, um, and this was sitting in a room um, full of social workers because my oldest daughter was experiencing a lot of mental illness issues at the time. And she had gone into foster care. And I remember sitting at one end of the table with everybody else at the other and my daughter railing at me about, what a terrible mom I had been and I hadn't been there for her and hadn't protected her and hadn't looked after her and, and sitting there going, everything she's saying is true, you know, because I was dealing with my own issues. I couldn't be the kind of mom I wanted to be. And I remember sitting there and I I remember looking across the table and saying, you know what, everything you're saying is right, but I just want you to know I did the best I could with the tools I had. Mm -hmm. And I called that, my moment of grace, right? I gave myself grace in that moment. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I I made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? I did the best I could because I didn't have any, anyone to show me how to deal with everything I had gone through. And so I did the best I could. It's learning lessons, right? I don't, I don't even believe in mistakes, right? Or failures. I think those are, those are all lessons. They're Mm -hmm. all stepping stones like winston churchill said right failure is the stepping stone to success we don't know what needs to be done because we're not taught exactly one of the reasons i love the smarter method right because if we as parents use the smarter method to make ourselves you know happy healthy individuals the best possible versions of ourselves we can be we get to teach that to our kids then Right. And then our kids don't have to experience to the same level the emotional and mental trauma that we do. Right. Exactly. There's still going to be trauma. And nobody is free from getting trauma. It doesn't yeah. matter how how much of a genius you are. You're still not going to be free yeah. from one form of trauma or the other. That's a guarantee. But to yeah. be able to process it, to be able to understand what it is, how it how it works for you what it's teaching you to change or make better or anything along those lines, trauma has a purpose. Yeah. And like, and like you were saying, it's all about awareness, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's being awareness. Like when I left that room with the social workers and walked out, I kind of had this epiphany moment of, okay, wait a minute. I, I was kind enough to myself to give myself grace. Now I need to extend that grace outwards. You know, I needed to look at my parents and go, you know, um, I had found out that my mom had been, 
uh, sexually abused and raped by her own father. Right. So I was like, okay, well, she did the best she could, I'm sure, with the tools that she had, you know, and not knowing a lot about my dad's family, but, you know, severe alcoholic. I'm like, maybe he was doing the best he could. And even going so far as to look at my grandfather, you know, who had molested me as a child and going, I don't know what his life was like as a child. Maybe he was doing the best he could. And for a lot of people, that's a hard concept to embrace. There and are it's a not, lot of you know, it's not letting let him off the hook, but going, I, you know, I gave that grace for myself and going, you know what, everybody is just doing the best they can with the tools they have. And when you recognize that, we get a little softer, you know, with other people. And that allows us to be softer with ourselves as well, which we need. We need to be compassionate with ourselves and go, you know what? You know, we were in survival mode because that's what I was. I was in survival mode. Now I'm in thrival mode, you know, and it was just those little shifts that you make. And like you were saying, awareness is so huge. You know, when you can become aware of these thought patterns and, and be so present in your body, you know, that you can start recognizing these things. That's where the shifts come. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get going? I always like to leave uh, with a message that um, after spending so many years in the dark myself and feeling like I didn't have anybody to talk to, I always like to leave a message to any of the listeners or viewers just to say, you know what, if you're in a spot where you feel lost and alone, and that you don't have anybody that you can reach out to, please reach out to me on social media. Um, if you're close by, reach out to me live and in person. But um, I will come and sit in the dark with anyone because I've been there. I understand what it feels like. And I will sit in the dark with you until you're ready to rise up out of it. Um, because I don't want anyone to feel alone with what they're experiencing because you're not alone. So if you need help, there's uh, so much that COVID taught us. There's so many um, uh, resources online and uh, find yourself that person that you can, you can connect with and, and that you feel safe and secure with. And if you don't have that person, find me on social media and reach out. Yeah, there's lots of us around and there is the Women Supporting Women group. Uh, the Women Supporting Women Network is all about women finding support and connection in every area of their life, whether that is motherhood, whether that's relationships, whatever that looks like, right? Self-development, health and wellness. Um, we wanted to make a one-stop shop for women where, you know, and, and a membership platform where you can connect and, and actually have safe, healthy relations, conversations, not relationships, conversations. I really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your story. It was so, again, heavy, that the very heavy past. And I think that we need to be sharing those stories more. We need to be inspiring others that, you know, it is okay to not be okay. We need to be in that moment, accept it, and understand what it means. Um, our sponsor today, the a Phoenix Identity, and I know that you have a Phoenix behind you, and I'm super excited about that. I love Phoenix hair. Um, I have mine on my neck here. Um, a Phoenix Identity has the Embrace Your Positivity uh, guide. It is all about accepting your emotions, where you're at, understanding what's triggering them, how to work through them and all of that, that is linked below. So make sure you guys all get that. Charlene, again, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for creating the ripples in this pond that we're all living in. So, Oh, it's needed. Mm -hmm. Very much needed. All right. Well, if anybody wants to get a hold of either myself or Charlene, you can do so. Links in the description of this episode. Make sure that you reach out. Like Charlene said, if you are in the dark, please reach out to her or myself. I will put that out there as well. Um, our inboxes are always open. I say that to everybody. My inbox is always open. Uh, I may not respond in that moment, but my inbox is always open. So um, take that leap, take that first step, ask for help, uh, find somebody who resonates with you that's going to treat you with respect um, and hold you accountable because accountability is huge. So go and check that out. Um, reach out, like, follow, and share the show. Uh, join our newsletter if you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or if you'd like to see a topic featured, please reach out to us at justalivetv.com. Um, yeah, I'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks again, Charlene. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye.